Welcome to the My Personal Football Coach Youth Soccer Player Development Podcast, episode 20 with Chris Ramsey. Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to another show, the 20th episode of the My Personal Football Coach Youth Soccer Player Development Podcast. Uh, just want to say a big thank you uh, for all the uh, feedback I continually get for all the shows. Um, constantly meeting people all around the world who are telling me they listen. and uh, So I appreciate that. Keep on listening. And uh, for the 20th episode, we've got a great guest, uh, a real big heavyweight of the, uh, the youth development game, um, Chris Ramsey. Uh, who was uh, previously assistant academy manager at Tottenham Hotspurs Academy, helped turn that academy into one of the best academies in the world, really drove that on, uh, obviously produced the likes of Harry Kane, Winks, Onomar, uh, and all these uh, young super players coming through, um, producing players, not just players, but creative players, uh, real technical players, and um, a real inspiration to me. I was fortunate enough to work under him, under Tottenham, had a real big influence in my career, um, without spoiling the show, I think one of the major takeaways for me working with Chris was the fact that, you know, if you get it right at a young age, if you get it right at that, the 8s to 11s with that technical base, you've got a real great chance um, when they get older. And obviously seeing that with uh, a lot of these guys going on uh, to help represent England with a successful summer and uh, obviously helped, you know, make Tottenham into one of the, the best, most prolific academies in world football in terms of producing pro players, well, certainly in England, and, uh, and also one of the most uh, pro pro prolific uh, producers of players for the England youth teams as well. And a uh, real big achievement, especially considering the environment and uh, in the shadows of, uh, of Arsenal and Chelsea and uh, within the, that, the recruitment in London. So uh, as you'll hear more in the show, so real, real heavyweight with a proven methodology at the top level. So uh, real blessed and fortunate that he came, well, that came on the show. I was lucky enough to spend an afternoon with him down at the QPR Academy training ground, have a, have a good chat. And also then uh, see a bit of training, and uh, he still, you know, as a as a head of youth academy, still watches most of the sessions and still gets involved in most of the sessions. So real unique and uh, real uh, inspiration. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. If you are enjoying the shows, please do leave a review on iTunes. It really does help. Been getting lots of great feedback also of the uh, the new app we've released. So the users of the Dynamic Ball Mastery Program, the online technical homework program, can now uh, download the app on uh, Google or Apple and uh, train on their phone or their tablets offline. Um, real game changer for us, I think. Really supporting player development all around the world at all levels. I think it's really taken our club partnership to the next level as well. Obviously, you know, clubs like pro clubs like Wolverhampton Wanderers use it with for their academy as a technical homework training program. Where we've got grassroots clubs all around the world. We've got federations as well. So, really, as a one-stop shop for technical development 
and uh, to support your players, to really add value to your club and give your players uh, access to a consistent and quality and proven uh, technical training program that they can use. And obviously then the coaches uh, also get access to the coaches pass, which will give you uh, access to the uh, homework, the bonus homework, technical training um, exercises and also lots of uh, team training practices as well. Um, 1v1 centric practices that you can uh, introduce this into your into your sessions as well so I think it's really important to create that consistency around the club uh, to celebrate the new year coming in we've got a special offer actually on our club partnership so 50% off for the first year so if you're interested in uh, taking your club to the next level and using um, e-learning to support your players and your coaches and to, to really take their game to the next level uh, just give us a touch base, give us an email and uh, at Saul at mypersonalfootballcoach.com and we can discuss uh, getting you guys on um, for this uh, special offer for January, generally only for the 50% off for the first year for the club partnership and uh, we can sort that out. So uh, looking forward as well to the conference, just a few weeks away now in Philly. So um, looking forward to meeting up with lots of people there, connecting with people there. If you see myself or my colleague Sean who will be with me, uh, we'll be uh, dressed in the big personal, my personal football coach logos. Come and say hello. We can have a coffee and, uh, and also we can maybe talk a little bit more about the club partnership and the big special offer. But uh, without further ado, uh, let's get into this show. The 20th episode, Chris Ramsey, one of the best, uh, master the ball, master the game. So Chris Ramsey, welcome to the show. Welcome, uh, welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for, thanks for having us. Um, so, uh, can you just give us a little bit of background about your coaching and your playing and coaching background up to date? Uh, playing wise, I, I played um, in all the divisions. You know, um, I, I started at Bristol City, at Brighton, I became a first team player. And then I moved from Swindon and Southend, uh, sustained an injury, left the, yeah, um, had some operations, stopped football for a little while. Um, and then I went to Malta, uh, where I really started my coaching um, career. I mean, I went from being a player to being a player manager. And uh, very difficult times, didn't know um, much about how to deal with teams and stuff like that, but chucked in at the deep end and uh, d uh, did, did okay. We, we got a couple of promotions, got to the cup final. Um, and during that time, I started really having a look at what was going to be next in in, in my life, really. And uh, I ended up uh, coming back and doing my my um, what it's called a full badge in those days. I came back and did that, um, and went to uni. Um, and while I was at uni, um, I also played in America and coached in America. Um, but. But when I came back here, really, I worked uh, at Orient. I did football and community at Orient and Brentford, QPR, uh, which is ironic actually. I went from football and community to the to the manager in twenty years, <laughs> uh, and Wimbledon. So that you know that was that was good. It was a good grounding for me. Probably the best grounding ever really was was the football and community, because you learn how to deal with different people and. Out. It's, it's entertainment, but if you take it seriously, that you want the kids to enjoy themselves, you actually learn your, you know, your your trade dealing with a uh, with difference really. Um, and while I was doing that, I was at uh, I trained uh, or I was a manager for Newham Ladies. Did that at the same time, so it was another another medium 
of learning, another way of learning how to deal with different types of players at different levels and uh, you know they, they were all things that rounded me but you know um, while, I was, while I was at Orient um, I got headhunted by the FA and um, I um, ended up getting the job and, you know, I was a regional director for the FA for London and the South East I mean in those days you did everything you know now there's a job everyone's got a job you know there's there's someone to do the B license someone to do the youth awards um, even though there weren't that many awards but you you actually had to do everything from the scout into to to the uh, coach education uh, which was great for me really because it was a steep learning curve even though, even though it was really hard um, I went to the FA that, uh, and was uh, Howard Wilkins assistant with the uh, England uh, national team the under 18s um, you know that was, you know, I, you know, that was very fortunate for me that I could learn a lot from him. Um, so I worked there with the likes of Dick Bay and Kenny Swain, Steve Rutter, uh, and and you know, another very important part of my learning was a, a man called Craig Simmons, who taught me a lot about player development. You know, probably as much or more than anybody else. Um, and you know, you're, you're quite fortunate because you know. In those days, there were a lot of uh, trips with the England teams. Uh, nowadays, they're not. In those days, you could get the team, the players, for camps for three, four days at a time through the year. So I spent a lot of time with Craig, learning about youth development, and, um, and obviously a lot of time with Dick Bate, learning about coaching and the detail of coaching and how to approach it. Um, and there was, there was, there was, the, you know, a massive sort of. Um, Aha moment for me in 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 many of the many of the things that I did there. Um, one of the things that that was important at that time was obviously to understand what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. So I asked a lot of questions. They probably you know were sick sick of me, but I asked a lot of questions and and to find out you know you know what my identity was as a coach and also just just also the theory and uh, the 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 different scenarios you don't even think about you know so I did that and at the time I was at the FA I also you know ended up being Les Reed's assistant with the England under uh, 16s for for a period um, head coach in the under 20s I took the under 19s as well um, so you know I probably did every team apart from the 17s which I did in the last couple of years um, so I you know, after a few years of being at the FA, doing all the coach education and being involved also in in being one of the authors for the fitness badge, you know, they had a fitness badge in those days, and I I, I helped write that, uh, which was you know integrating. Uh, now you see every team's got a fitness coach. They did, there wasn't one in the old days before that you know to, to work at a football club, they wanted you to do this 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 award, um, and it's changed now, but. Know, that was a massive learning curve for me in regards how you coach players and how you um, make sure the techniques are, are done correctly because of the biomechanics, because of the load you put them on them and stuff like that. That was brilliant. Um, so from there, I got an opportunity to go with Ricky Hill, who's, who's a good friend of mine, and to, to uh, work as the assistant manager at Luton Town. Um, and I'd worked with Ricky before that because uh, while I was at uni I played for a team called Coco Beach 
Cocoa Expos actually in Cocoa Beach in, in Florida and I was his assistant, the player assistant and then when he left the next year I, I was the manager um, which which was you know before the MLS um, and we got to the national national final which was a magnificent feat for 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 any club at that time because the, the country is so big um, now from there from Luton um, was there very difficult very steep uh, learning curve from understanding how to almost detrain what you'd what you'd learn with the England because the players I'd worked with, you know, uh, England at that time, you know, you're looking at the likes of uh, Joe Cole, Ashley Cole, Steve Gerrard, Darius Vassell, Jonathan Woodgate, Ledley King, those type of, of, of you're sort of sport really, uh, which is one of the reasons I look at coaches now when they say, you know, that they haven't got good players. I mean, the, the problem is, is when you do have good players, you expect things to work all the time, and you don't actually evolve as a coach. Um, but went from there to Luton, where they were going for a very difficult patch, and uh, that only lasted um, probably about four months. Um, that lasted about four months, and it's funny because during the time I was at the FA, I started my masters at uh, Brunel University, and. Uh, I ended up, I got sacked in the morning and I went back to uni in the afternoon. <laughs> so that was, that was. What that was that was like then going from working with youth players, being the setup, and then going to the first team environment with Luton? What was the, you know, obviously you being within in a first team player yourself in the past, mm. what was the main differences to going in there and, you know, you're doing your, your practice design and how mm. you communicate with those pros? Well, to be, to be honest with you, my first coaching job was with, with, was with adults. Yeah. Because it was I was a, I was a player manager, which is the hardest job you can ever have. So dealing with the players wasn't wasn't the problem. What was the problem was was uh, that I failed to realise was the lower down you go in the league, the more jacked the lad the players are. The higher up, the more humble they are. It's, it's funny. So the lower down that they, they, they think they've made it, they think they've done everything, but they were actually. Were on the way out of the game, most of them. You know, was, there was some good players there like Emerson Boyce and Matty Taylor, who we, we, you know, Ricky Hill took under his wing, and you know, they they survived the exodus of the players who weren't prepared to apply themselves. But um, it was it, it it was difficult because all of a sudden you, you your job is depending on a last minute goal. You know, whereas before. You know, when you're in development, I mean, not national team, but in development, you're just looking for those individual players. You know, did it, did you change the way you, you set the teams up in those two situations? So uh, you've got you know those teams of Joe Cole, and then you got the teams of the uh, team. Is it, did you play a different way? Well, you, initially you don't because you think that everybody can do everything that you want them to do. But uh, that's why most of my my the, the crux of the philosophy that I, I work from is based on a strength-based capability program. So anybody that you look at, you look at the strengths and then their capabilities. And and I think that's the best way to go in anything that you do because it's pointless. You know, you pick players for their strengths, don't you? And then you pick you and their capabilities. Um, what they can do is pointless trying to get uh, a team that plays predominantly direct football and has the players that, that can play like that to try to play tippy-tappy football, which is what I like. So we had to adjust at times, but uh, probably not soon enough. 
So then what was the, your next challenge after? Um, after Luton, um, believe it or not, I was an agent for a year. Uh, the worst job in the world, I hated it. I hated it because of the arrogance of the young players and arrogance of people thinking that you can get them into a club and not wanting to work, thinking that your contact is what makes them a player. Um, so I did that, but believe it or not, I moonlighted for half, half of the time because I went and worked with John Steele at, at Barnet. Um, you know, when I, when I realised that wasn't what I wanted to do, I, I sort of um, decided to, to cut that down and go and work with, with John Steele for nothing for, eight, for six months or five, four or five months. And um, that was an, an, an absolute massive learning curve, a fantastic one. Um, I learned so much from him. And, you know, people talk about philosophies, but philosophies are not always based on someone's playing style. They're based on beliefs. And uh, the, how he wholeheartedly believed what he did, and how to do it and what to do, and stuck to it and did everything in training that, that you know related to what he did it, it was it was brilliant and his man management you know was something that I thought was unbelievable um, and you know I, I learned a lot at that time at Barnet even though they were in the lower leagues I mean working with John was was, was fantastic um, but you know that wasn't a full-time job um, and at that time I'd had my teaching qualification from my first degree um, and I used to supply to, to get some extra bit of, bit of work and some extra, you know, do, do start doing level ones, level twos and stuff like that. It wasn't sustainable and I had a, a, a young son so I, I had to make a choice. I had contacts in, um, in America and I went out to work in New Orleans for a little while and during that time my friend who's uh, the head of football at Disney uh, which I'd been the coach at Disney for two summers, uh, believe it not, not with a big outfit on, <laughs> uh, um, but they, they have camps there. I'd been their coach for two summers before. Um, and Pat Dix, whose dad was Alan Dix, who, who used to be the manager of Fulham and Bristol City, he, had, he was at Charleston, Charleston in the USL. In those days, it was only when the, the MLS was just starting, it was only 10 teams, so the USL was the main league in the, in the country. Um, and he said, oh, my dad's leaving Charleston. Why don't you put your CV in? He phoned me up and I, and I faxed my CV, faxed, can you believe that? Faxed the CV through. And uh, they, they flew me out from New Orleans for an interview. And um, when I got back to England, um, they contacted me and said, we'd like to offer you the job. So I packed my bags, you know, it was difficult. I mean, unfortunately for me, I was, I, I just split up with my son's mum, but you know, you're leaving your child behind, which is, you know, you got one, it's difficult, can you imagine? Yeah, imagine that. But you have to, you have to, you have to earn money. And, and, and uh, when I'd supplied, you know, I stood in front of the class one day and, you know, in, in, in one of the an inner city school and I thought 30 more years of this isn't for me, even though it was something that I did like do, doing, you know, had the pull of that. So I decided to um, to go to America. And I went to Charleston for, uh, I was the first team manager there. Uh, they had the first purpose-built uh, soccer stadium there. Uh, it was an Englishman who built it. It was the first um, purpose-built soccer stadium. And we played in the USL, which was you know another very big eye-opening 
uh, scenario for me because uh, in, in England in those days, this was have been 2000, 2001, something like that. And uh, the, you know, it was only that was the advent of where a lot of foreign players were coming into the country, but a lot of coaches hadn't coached foreign players. Um, you know, even now, you go down to Luton, now we had no foreign players in there, we had one maybe in, in those days. Now, you know, you don't know that half the team could be mm. from France or Belgium or someone like that. Um, so, you know, fortunately for me, there was a lot of um, players from different countries, you know, from uh, the Caribbean, from Paraguay, from Brazil, places like that. So you were allowed five foreigners, uh, and seven on the books, and five could play. So, you know, you learn to coach different people in, 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 from different different countries, um, which was good. And also, you know, it, it, on a land mass, it's the biggest traveling distances you can do so we'd go you could go from Puerto Rico and play Vancouver Vancouver with those days was wasn't in the MLS and Seattle and Portland they weren't in the MLS so you're going literally from the Caribbean to the you know the other side the other side of the country so massive learning curve there uh, you know you have things there like back-to-backs so what you do is you you'll play uh, Toronto on a, on a Friday and then you'll play Rochester Saturday night. So you drive four hours, you know, stay in a hotel that night and you'll play, you know, to, to cut the costs. Mm. I mean, obviously they don't do that now. Mm. But, or you'd fly to uh, to play Portland and you play Portland, Seattle and Vancouver in the same hit. So it's really, really interesting league, you know. And uh, What was it like, those, was there any difference in terms of coaching the players than the experience you've had with Luton and your other experiences? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think you build on everything that you do. You build on everything that you do. You probably evolve more. I'm probably less hair dryer type than I was in those days because I think when you're a, a younger coach and desperation comes in into into your coaching more, not coaching into your team talks and stuff like that more than it does when you you you've got a little bit more experience under your belt. Um, but the coaching was good. I've um, you know I've had a lot of feedback from those a lot of those players now are coaches and they phone me up to. You know, to give me some, you know, to ask for, for for advice. So that was a really, really good experience. You know, in that time, I worked with uh, the USL uh, with some of their their select teams and and stuff like that. It, it, you know, I, I learned a lot. And in that time, when I was there, I still worked for the FA. I still did the um, a, a B licenses. I did the one in Bermuda. So because I was there, I could fly out there and do do their B license. Um, must been that must have been a bit of a different experience uh, in doing the B license in yeah, uh, in uh, East London, Douglas, <laughs> Douglas, Douglas Air. Air. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so you know, I still did my coach education for that for for them, and one of the, the things about about that was different because in America, you know, it's even more based on the community there. So you have to get the players out to do community work, a very very important important part of uh, American life. Um, you know, that was good, but. The thing is, at the end of the day, you you end up being almost as successful for your, you know, too successful for your own good. So, you know, we got to the cup final, we won the league, uh, we won the whole national championship um, in my second year, which was which was good. Um, but I think it was the holy grail for my for my uh, for my owner because he's put a lot of money into into that club, and just missed out continually on the, in the playoffs and uh, I think he, he came to the Holy Grail you know it was almost now breathe out we've won it 
you know. So um, the next year we struggled to make the playoffs, but we got to the semi final of the Open Cup, which is their equivalent to the FA Cup. The, you know, so fair season. But anyway, we parted ways. You know, so um, at the end of my third season, and I end up taking a job in Florida. In a, in a in a in a um, as a director of foot, men's football and the assistant director of women's football, um, and clubs out there are, are, are slightly different to, to to here. So the club in America is like an academy here. They're massive, private club, all paying customers. So the club that we had, I mean, we've got here probably hundred hundred and fifty players. They were a small club and they had probably three and a half four hundred players. Wow. So they had, a, you know, in every age group, there was two or three teams, you know, sometimes more. So overseeing that gave me a, a lot of organisational understanding. Also organising tournaments, barbecues, <laughs> um, fun days, all those sorts of things mm. add to your, add to your, uh, to, to, to your managerial expertise. Um, so I did that, but the job was almost too easy. It was, uh, it, uh, it was, a lot of apathy there for me. It was a bit. I was sport underemployed, so to speak. But it it was enjoyable when it was enjoyable, uh, and living in Florida is always the best. Um, so that was in Fort Myers. That was great. But fortunate for me, John McDermott left the FA and went to Tottenham in the May of two thousand and five, and he called me and asked me if I'd want to come and do and, and work there. You know. Um, so what was the what was your first role then? At, what was your role you went into as, at Tottenham? Um, assistant academy manager. And then tell us tell a little bit about what was the the scene like as you when you walked through Tottenham those first those first few weeks. The first session, I was I, I was almost glad I hadn't unpacked because I was probably going to try and get a job back there. Uh, I'd been away four years and um, I'd applied for the pro license and then the pro license they said to me it's only people that are likely to coach in the Premier League get on it so I didn't get on the first one um, now what happened was when I went there I got there I was shocked I was shocked um, although you know they, they had recruited some rough diamonds but they weren't the players there wasn't m the p m many good players there the players were not a lot and not much diversity at the club at the time um, amongst the players um, and very Sunday league-ish in, in their approach in the way that where they they were now, they had already had they had had someone there before John Moncur, who was brilliant for the club and done brilliant um, stuff. You know, he produced Legley King and people like that, and Pat Holland was there. They'd produced that, but sometimes in the the academies and the way they evolve, it doesn't always keep up with what people have done in the past. Uh, but they hadn't produced anyone since Legley King in, in those days. So we went there with a mission, and uh, we actually wrote down on I wrote I think I got it at home wrote down on a piece of paper, it was, I think they were paying nine, 900 grand, but I think John said it might have been one point something, whatever it was, I wrote it down and circled it and put it in the drawer. And uh, because if you've got a five year plan, they wanted their 5.6 million or five, whatever it would have been. So the chairman ain't caring about ultimately what you're gonna win as a youth team. They say they do, people do, but they care about the money that comes back. So when it went there, it was very difficult. All the teams were very individualised. All the training sessions were very random. People were coaching the teams like their own individual team. No philosophy of 
we're going to all play 4-4-2 and we're all going to squeeze or we're all going to play through midfield. Every coach had their just did their own session. So then, what's um, so what was the what was the mission then? That mission statement. What were the key things you wanted to do? The mission was was to get first of all get a style of play that allowed for individual development, um, and a style of play that allowed players to express themselves, and a, a style of play that allowed um, the player to be the you know the one to get the job rather than the team. Because you know me, myself and John, I've known John since he was in his early twenties. So, you know, because he used to, to go to America and, and, and he knew some friends of mine. And we spoke about how, how, how do we get players to individually express themselves? How do we get, but within a team setting? So, what's the most important thing? Is it the fact that we're going to win the game or is it the fact that we're going to have the best player? Because you can't, when you have 11 players with their individual program, the keeper might drop three in, but he might now next week drop two, then the week after drop one and then drop none. That's progression for that keeper. But the overall score is not going to reflect the fact that he's, he's getting better. So we, you have to take, your, take it on the chin for the players. You have to, to, to understand that if they're trying, that's all they can do. They can only try and you can give them the plan for them to try. So when we first went in there, as you know, you was, you was there, it was chaotic to a point but trying to get players uh, like I've done here, trying to get coaches to understand that we are here for the players. We're not here for ourselves. We're here so that the players can get better. So a lot of the times what happened is coaches will say, well, my session's not going well, or this is not, well, I'm saying, but it's not going well because the players are trying to do it, but they haven't got it yet. And, 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 and a lot of coaches judge themselves on how well the session goes. I've never done that. As long as I know that this sound pedagogy of, of what of what you know what what we're trying to 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 achieve, and the players are trying, then we have to we can work on it together. And uh, you know what happened there was you had to recruit people that were prepared to do what you wanted, and uh, we got you know loads of people left. So tell us a little bit about that. The your your uh, implanting a culture, a new mm -hmm. culture. What mm -hmm. was that culture like? And then I remember that the uh, little um, catchphrase you used to have that you had uh, for people who didn't maybe fit in that culture. Fit oh, the, the FIFO one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fit in or flip off. Yeah. Yeah, that was it really. We we basically what we were saying is look, it's like anything. You got your business. You, you if you employ people to do your business, you say right, you're doing this and you come back and they're not doing it, it's going to affect your business, isn't it? And they might not see it because they want to have, they, they think their own session is, 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 is important. So we basically had a, a, a no, no tolerance, no tolerance uh, thing. And the fortunate thing was, you know, in those days, uh, what's that, what am I, 55 now? And I was right, 42, 43. So I was, I was fit enough to actually do every session myself. And John used to come and help at times in the evenings, but he worked a lot with Alex in the daytime. Um, but I was actually able to physically do the sessions myself. So anybody didn't do it, I just done. We just done the session, and obviously I had Perry Suckling and people like that there who could help. So um, what did you, you'd walk in on the session, you'd step yeah, in as it were, and yeah. just say. And so what was the I mean, the reaction to? 
think first of the, the coaches, what was there what was like, you know, people who've been there for many years fighting the, you know, the, the, the old culture like in well, practice. It was difficult because you're walking in on sessions on people that think that they know a lot about the game. Now what you do is you probably won't do it the first time because you've got to show them some respect and you've got to understand that they're trying to get what's in your head. But the problem is is if you've got a plan which is based on four or five years or you have to get it done quickly. So we know the overall plan takes 12 years, but if you don't, if you, if you don't put that first brick in the wall, you're never gonna get to 12 years. That first step, you're never gonna get there. So the reaction from the coaches was generally not very good, and, and most of them left. Um, and the reaction from them was, was they felt threatened because they think that you're questioning their, their um, knowledge of football. And I'm saying, well, I'm not questioning your knowledge. I'm just saying this is the method I want to use. That's all it is. You, you, you might know more than me, but this is the method that we feel will help players to develop. And hence the reason why we decided to play 4-3-3 because we thought it would, it would um, allow players more individual 1v1 battles. And, and that's not 4-3-3 with a sitting midfield player. That's 4-3-3 with a revolving midfield where somebody always ends up as a 10 or, mid, or, 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 or a holding midfield player but doesn't stay there for the whole game till they develop their, their pathway where they become more comfortable in, in, in either position. So just talking a bit about then explicitly about that culture and what does that look like in practice, that method you described, what is that, what is the method and what are the key principles and then in terms of what does that look like in practice Well, the, the, well, the, the key, prin key principles of, of, what we're, of what we're trying, what, we, what we're looking at is, first of all, the capabilities, right, individual capabilities of, of players, right? Um, what, have they, what have they got to do? What is this? We have four main things when we, when we look at, we, we, we have a, a development pyramid so to speak. So the development pyramid starts off with extreme technique at the bottom. And then, you know, we look, we look at, at uh, movement experimentation. Now movement experimentation, what we're talking about with that is players move around the pitch. Um, obviously the pitch gets bigger because they're now going for, you know, 11 round about that, 12, they're playing on bigger size pitches. So you have to have a shape. So, so you know, you have to, so there's a shape. But you don't leave a left back or a, a centre mid playing there all the time. They play in different positions, and then we move from there to movement refinement. So refining the movement means that now their characteristics start to become more formed. People start, um, you know, the quick players start become, you know, start becoming more obvious, or the skillful players be in different positions become more obvious. So. We start refining their movement, maybe one or two positions. Now that doesn't mean that they might not have three, but it just generally that's how, how how it works. And then you go for positional refinement because they're coming into a league, or not a league. They're coming into a um, basically what they're doing is they're coming in to, to try and sign a contract as a scholar. And usually you sign a team, don't you? When when you're signing a, a scholarship, you don't sign twelve left backs or 10 centre mids, you sign a team with some extra players. So what you try and do then is you have positional refinement where you start looking at four things. What's the essentials? What's important? What's an important non-essential? And what's the desirable? Now just, just to, to, to clarify that, what you're looking at. If you're a centre half, heading is an essential. You have to be good at it. If you're a centre half, 
you tackling and and stopping the turn and stuff like that. One v one defending is important, right? So those all your your things for you to get signed have to be in that box. Now, if you're looking at uh, important non-essential, you're looking at say John Stones running into midfield with it. It's important for his team, but it's not essential for him to get a contract as a centre half with another team. Does that make sense? So a desirable for John Stones would be scoring. It's desirable, you know, if he's good at free kicks or he's good at scoring from 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 headers from a corners. That's desirable. It's not going to stop him from getting a contract. So in the first two boxes, those are the things that are going to stop you from getting a contract. So we look at that, and 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 that makes your the program more bespoke for that player. So for argument's sake, if we write a list down and someone's, we, we also categorize those four things. So what you're looking at is essential, you have to be very good at it. Important, you have to be good at it. In, in um, uh, uh, Important, you have to be good at it. And important, non-essential, you can be average at that. That's not in, you know, because we're not gonna break on it, working on that if, it isn't something that's going to stop you getting a contract. Now, and then desirable, you can be struggling and no one cares about that. It's desirable. That might that might be the thing that makes you world class, like a free, free kick taker or something like that. It might be the thing on the edge. But in de- youth development, we can't work on the thing that you're going to be have to be good at when you're 25. We're working on what you're good at between nine and... Um, 19, 21, 22. Because if you, people say, oh, well, he might be have to, you know, if he gets in the first team, he, he might have to be good at taking corners. That Taking corners ain't getting you in the team now. The important things and the essential things will get you in the team. So that's where, that's what, what we're gonna do, because we have a commitment to the players. Commitment, uh, our commitment statements is that we are gonna provide a training um, um, a training schedule that allows them to, to fulfill their potential and a, and a games and a game schedule that allows them to, to maximize their opportunities to to uh, practice those those skills that they've got and obviously our aim is obviously get them in for our first team if not to another first team higher or, or similar and then any other club paid any any other paid employment playing football, um, and then obviously we look at the education and we look at the um, any alternative employment. So then starting going back to the bottom of the pyramid, mm. the extreme extreme technical. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about that. What that means, um, what that looks like in process. Obviously, one v one's always been a big part of that mm. philosophy. Just tell us a little bit about that as well and how that works in practice. Well, we think that if, if players can dominate one v one at a young age either with the ball or without the ball. Um, we feel that, you know, having that comfort on the ball or that great movement is always going to allow them to play for play, to play football for somebody. So the way that we want to play, because the, the style of play we want to play, it's important that every player can manage the ball. So if you, if you, if you think about it, we, our, uh, our playing philosophy is based on on seven things, all right? So 
we talk about the players have to have the technical excellence to carry out the demands of the game as an individual, right? Because that's important, right? So that means that if you're working on a uh, centre half or uh, fullback, and he's great at dribbling, but he can't defend one v one, you haven't done your job because that's you've you've mismatched um, what is going to be important for that player to get to where he needs to get, to get to. So at the bottom of the pyramid, though, we're we're saying right. Possession the ability to retain the ball as an individual. We want people to be able to sit into people, to use their body to roll people, or to use their body to get past people. So we're talking about advanced core skills, basic core skills, which people don't work on. They won't, they don't, they think working on basic hooks and turns is beneath them. But a lot of players haven't got that, so they lose a lot of flexibility early. They lose the ability to, to decision make quickly because their first touch doesn't inform them what the next touch is going to be. But instead of a lot of coaches don't want to work at that basic level, but it's important. And then we talk about being able to, as they get older, being able to, to, to contribute to a purposeful possession play. So you've got lots of teams that keep the ball and it's all nice and no, no one has a shot. So that's important. And then we're looking at people having the physical and mental capabilities to interchange. Right, to, to play in different positions uh, on the pitch at the time so they can adapt to different managers you know, and, and play for different teams. Also understanding the jobs of different people. So when we do different parts of the pyramid, when we're talking about refining the movement, they have two or three positions. They understand different jobs because they might not end up a left winger like Danny Rose. He was a left winger for ages. He's ended up a left back. You know, he's, he's, you know uh, Harry Kane was not mainly a nine. He was a 10 and 8, played 9 sometimes. So he had an understanding of those roles. That's why he can play when he drops into midfield. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the biggest, the biggest one of the biggest things for the style of play is having the attitude, I play where I am. That means that when you change positions and you go and join in that um, possession play, you're not embarrassed on the ball for being a big man. You know, good touch for a big man. We've all heard that, haven't we? So as you go into that midfield, you can play in midfield and you can stay there and you don't have to run back 20 yards. You're going to play as a centre mid because that player has taken your place as an interchange. So they have the mental cap capabilities to understand that this player goes high, I, I drop here or, or wh whatever the situation is. So a play where I am is a very, very important part of people having um, good individual skills. Um, and then being expressive and responsible as they get older we're saying right, look, we want you to be expressive but you've got to understand that you're playing for a manager who's not me you're playing for somebody who wants you now in this situation to not slip it into midfield we want you to play down the line but have you got the technique to drop it down the line in one bounce or two bounces you know so, so it's giving that rounded player an opportunity so then, so going to the start point, then the players come in at nine, eight, mm. nine, and ten, mm. for instance, the beginning of that mm. pyramid. What does that look like in practice? Is it different to what the older boys are doing or similar? How do you uh, differentiate it? And then how do you get those outcomes you're talking about at that, at that young age? Uh, at a young age, at, at normal ball each. Ball each because we think ball mastery is the most important part of any, of any person, of any player. Um, working on, on using your different parts of your foot, balancing on both sides is, is really important as well. 
um, ball striking is, is important as an individual. So we work with, with uh, the younger they are, the more the ball each, because you have to work on, on how youngsters um, think. And the younger they are, the more egocentric they are. So they don't share till they move up the pyramid. So you want them to, to, to be greedy, to express themselves, to because there's going to be years when they're passing the ball to somebody else. So we want them to be able to, 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 to get themselves out, out of tight situations, but also learn how not to get in those tight situations for, for, for the good. So, um, so what do you say then when um, critics talk about unopposed work not trans transferring to the game situation? What's your um, thoughts on that? Then? No, because I work on 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 different things. So first of all, mechanics. So if you can't mechanically do the trick or do the move, you're not gonna you're not gonna it's not gonna translate anyway. So if you have to sometimes people throw people in at the deep end. If you throw ten people in at the deep end. Nine of them will die. <laughs> it's just what happens. It does. You, you you're not just going to learn it, right? So, you if you can't do do the biomechanics of any of a move, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can't. You're not about to do it. Then we work on distraction. Distraction means that what you're looking at is can you be in a situation where you're doing it opposite somebody, or you'll do it where something might take your mind off it. It might be that that. Um, you're doing it, then someone you're passing it, and someone else is doing it. It's a distraction. You're doing something different, and then interference. Interference is progressive. Somebody progressively trying to stop you from 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 doing it. Now, when they say that unopposed work doesn't work, it doesn't transfer. I'm saying then, how do you teach people to head the ball or volley the ball if they mechanically can't do it? How do you teach them? Yeah, well, I suppose that the plans have is how they say if you do it in a game situation, then it's more likely to stick. Even though I agree with you, that, you know, it's not mechanical. Game people, to do people, it. people, people. I this rubbish. Let the game be the teacher. If you can't play the game, how can it teach you? Someone says to me tomorrow, uh, go and um, I don't know, go and play rugby. If I don't even know what to do, when I'm and not only that, I'll probably learn, but the learning of it will be so long. How, how are you going to know? That's the biggest load of rubbish I've ever heard. And what about this? I'll give you another another gem for you. The other one is people say when you're teaching skills, you're you're maybe limiting creativity because you're you know you're imposing a skill on a player. No, believe it or not, one of the things I do. Whenever somebody comes into into the thing, you're looking at what they bring to the party. So you never try to stop that what they bring to the party. And what they bring to the party, they'll always revert back to when, when, when they're put in a position when they can do what they like. But there are some fundamental skills that they don't know, and there are some fundamental moves that they don't know that might enhance what they what they're going to bring to, what they're going to bring to the party. Now, one of the things is is this: you you look at juggling. If we say go and juggle the ball, what would a kid do? He'll just kick the ball up, and it'll go anywhere, and he'll just he'll deal with the ball wherever it goes. If you say to him, can you kick that ball 10 times with your left foot? Or with your right foot? Or can you head it eight times? That's control. That is controlling the ball. I'm going to head the ball eight times. And I'm going to kick it with my left foot five times. 
that's control. When people say when they're just juggling it all, all over the place, right? Do you you, you ever seen uh, a Maradona or someone like that do juggling? You can watch it on YouTube. He's just in total control of the ball. He knows he's kicking that ball up in the air. He knows it's coming down on this foot, uh, this side of his body. He's controlling it like this. What we do is we we have potluck wherever the ball goes. The ball's in control when you're just doing it freestyle. Ball's in control. You see those freestylers. Do you think they don't know where the ball's going? <laughs> yeah. They don't. Do you think they don't practice kicking it f 30 times in one part of their foot or controlling it like that, like that? So we talk about imposing skills. There's imposing moves that can help them, one, with their general biomechanics and flexibility, two, introduce something new, three, help them with the skill that they're already good at, and four, Combine their skill and 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 the new and the, the new skill. Interesting. So then, going taking that into um, game day on Sunday, what, what do you? What's your guidance to your coaches about how to support this sort of um, technical work what, in the game? Age group, all of them. Nines, tens. We're talking about lower age. Nines, nines tens. tens. So we're saying, what, what I would what's, say is, that look different to maybe. What, yeah, it looks different. Nines, tens. Right. Yeah, this is something that I've and I wrote it down. I still from from Orient days. If there's a if there's a space, run with it. If you hit a wall, pass it. That's it. So if you've got the opportunity to run with it and take people on, do it. As soon as you understand that you can't, pass it. That's it. So when I remember you telling me uh, we were speaking originally from the first uh, session, talking about you wanted to have this like playground type. Yeah, play, it's, that's what it is in the playground. What's, what's, what what sort of outcomes are you looking for? What does that mean? Well, the playground outcomes you're going to have quick decisions. You're going to have people understanding that, that um, listen, you get physical outcomes of it. You've got sitting in, you've got holding off, you've got drag backs, you've got Cruyff turns, you've got shots. Also, the finishing in a crack playground situation is actually more realistic than the shooting practices we do with the older boys. So you watch any goal, what's it like? It's always messy in the play, playground scenario. The ball drops from a corner, someone shoots between legs. That's what you get in a playground, right? Very rarely do we get the goals that we see in manufactured training sessions, ball into the centre forward, set back into the D and someone shoots. When's that ever happened? It never happens. Or I'd say it never happens. It very, very, very rarely happens. Most goals are scored in the, in, 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 the, uh, in the box, in the red zone, with boots flying. So why don't we practice like that? I mean, you said it briefly earlier, you talked a little bit earlier, but what was, well, tell us about the results then at that level. I mean, you know, the importance of the results. You know, the it depends what, you, what, you're, what you're trying to achieve. What you're, what, what you're looking at, right, is <coughs> the more <coughs> experimentation, <coughs> excuse me, the more experimentation, the more mistakes. The more mistakes, the more goals you're letting in. Through the experimentation will come success because you will decide what you can use and what you can't use. You don't experiment. You're just going to be one trick pony, one dimensional, and that will get old. And a lot of kids are regimented as a team, all pass it neatly. This one sets back to that one. <coughs> Shot goal. Now, for me, the best player is the player that you can take from that team and put him in a playground team and put him in a regimented team and put him in a half and half team and he still succeeds. <clears throat> That's the best players. The, the players that can only play in one team 
won't survive. And if you look at, if, if you take these 10 year olds, nine and 10 year olds now, and you say, right, we're gonna make you as versatile as possible, but the basic, your basic skills and your basic um, um, toolbox can be manipulated. The only thing that, 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 that you can, the only thing, difference will be how your mind sits, how your mind sits. But you have got the ability, the technical ability to do that and to do that. And then you've got what you bring. So everyone can hook it, everyone can pass it at 75. You can play your one or two bounce passes. You've got uh, the ability to, 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 to dribble 1v1. You, you, you understand about if you're on the defensive mode. I mean, we work on four things, four things that we work on, on I keep saying numbers, but our big thing is, and, and you know it from, from there, can, can, can he score, can he create, or, or, or can he stop goals? And then from there, you've got four things either side. In possession, can you score? Can you assist? Uh, can you maintain possession? Or can you get something out of it? Can you get some sort of result, set piece, or something like that? And out of possession, you just got, can you win it? Can you make play predictable? Can you support the first defender? And what's your team function? So what we're, what, what, so what, so what we're, what we're trying to say is, at the, at the lower end, the more you get those players into those types of things, as an individual, the more versatile they are and the more teams they can play for and the more managers they would appeal to. You get a player that can only do one fun thing or, or whatever. Now, he hasn't got to be the best at everything, but he's got to be. So if you, you think about it, if you're a, a winger who goes past people and that's what you're good at, you're really, really good at it, but you new manager comes and you can't bounce it off the front man because you can't use your other foot. You might not get in the team. Do you see what I'm saying? So you have to give the players the toolbox. Unless you're in a situation like Ajax, where Ajax, they all play 4-3-3 for the first team down to the under nines. And that's very difficult to maintain because it's probably changed now. Where the number seven from the reserves can just go into the first team because they know the movements. The number this from there can just go in in the first team, which is what we've tried to create. Trying to say, right, if you, 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 if you move from one team to another within our system, the only thing that should stop you is physicality. So if you're ten, if you're ten going into the elevens, you should understand he's coming towards me. I've got to go there. He's going there. I've got to go there. The only thing that should stop you is that physicality. So that in itself will allow you to dumb down your learning because most of after you've learned all that most of the things you're going to do are never going to be as um, educational as that so you're going to be asked to sit in this position or just tuck over and stuff like that but you've got the capabilities to go to a high level if you need to or to a different level shall I say not high and so then talk a little bit about then the transition for a young player when he goes into the the 11s, the 12s, the transition to 11 aside, and then how does that affect the um, the practice design of a coach trying to still get those outcomes? And now you obviously a lot more, the, the spaces are bigger, they're playing 11 aside. Do you change your approach, the way you're, you're delivering? Uh, I, I don't normally do that. The only thing I would do is, is obviously, the, you're looking at the capabilities of the players. So the younger they are, the more messy it is, and the, and the less structured. So it's structured to a point, but not structured to the point where 
uh, it's like a phase of play. When I first came here, we had a kid, a go we had a coach doing a phase of play with the under nights. Can you believe that? Freezing cold night. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to now give the, 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 the coaches some space, some, some trying to give the players some awareness of the geography of, of a bigger pitch, of this more spatial awareness. You know, at that age now, mentally, kids start to share more. So you know how when they're, they're, they're dribbling and stuff like that, you're asking them to share the ball, to pass it more and, and stuff like that. So your approach is probably slightly, I wouldn't say more tactical, but a little bit more tactical because you're saying, look, you're playing in this position, you're playing in that position. And then how that position relates to another position. And then after that, once they understand the structure, so when they recover, when they're playing, they don't recover into a, into, into a team formate, they can recover into a shape. So if, I've, if I'm a fullback and I've run forward and had a, and had a shot, I'm not gonna run back 60 yards, I'm expecting my wide man to have dropped in and I'll just take his place. So that's the approach I'd be expecting our coaches to, 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 uh, to look at. I'm still always looking at ball mastery, even at that age. You know, tactics, for me, it's technical. If you're not technical, technically, I wouldn't say technically gifted, but technically competent, I, I, at that age, I, I, I still think that that's the most important. I remember I, I, I mentioned this to you before when we met at St George's the other year and I said uh, I was sitting with Dan Machici, the ex-England under-16 coach, we were chatting and he said, you know, does, does any club produce players which you can rec immediately recognise as that sort of player? Mm. You know, he said, oh, with Tottenham, that's the only club where you know they come out. And I was living because we we're talking about the, the exciting and attacking players they produced, but then I said to you, you were very quickly to tell me about not just the, you know, the 10s and the 7s, the 11s and the mm. 9s, but all the players in all the other positions which are playing all around, mm. you know, your, your 2s, your 3s, who are technically yeah. advanced. You know, said a bit about that, good. that base, how important it is for every, all the players around the pitch. Mm. Let's talk about how, about why then that's so important for everybody and, you know, the sorts of players that have come through that. Well, the thing is, at the end of the day, when you're working with players that um, you're working with, you want to play a certain style. So for our sake, we believe a lot in rotation, people getting the ball in half turns and timing, popping up to get the ball. If your defenders can't pass it or can't control it, the midfield programme, see, one programme impacts on another. You've got a set and a half who can't play into midfield, that midfield player's programme's defunct. And also you've got, you, you got play, uh, midfield players that can't recognise that it's too tight, I've got to get out for someone else to get the ball. So their programme can work. You're defunct. Your fullbacks can't clip it into your forwards. His programs had it. So do you see what I'm saying? So each program links with another program, and you've got to know how they link and what type of passes that people need to link those programs to, what they need to need to practice on. So if you think about it, if you look at uh, you know you look at say Adam Smith playing for Bournemouth now, you know he's he's probably he's just a midfield player playing at right back. So all the players need to have midfield qualities, all the players, and mainly midfield qualities of, qualities of a number eight. So a number eight is a player that probably can do mo most things. What would happen is, is you start with the, the seed of a number eight and the defensive qualities and characteristics will manifest themselves, so will the attacking ones. So the players, who, who you have the seed at number eight, but he isn't really good at defending, will normally play higher up the field, but he'll be competent on the ball. And then the defender 
has those different those midfield qualities. He'll be competent on the ball, but he can still play. So do you think the time's gone where you know the old adage of you know he can he can head it he can tackle those those defenders are, are moving out of the game when now the modern game requires so much more and then how does that affect Depends your recruitment what, and then your well like, I mean if you're so, so obviously if you're at Tottenham you're trying to produce Champions League players and obviously does that dictate that but when you come into youth development you're not doing that you're producing players for the game we were fortunate to be at Tottenham and we maximised the, the the abilities of the players that were there. They, those players would not have succeeded without that formula because at that time Arsenal had the best quality they had the best recruitment they had a guy called Sean O'Connor who, who just really good recruit recruitment and they they had they had it was the emergence of, of when they were putting a lot of youngsters in the team and stuff like that and they had they had all the the, 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 the players and what we had there we didn't get the best players so I think that's quite an interesting point because I think because people obviously don't know a lot about the academy landscape as where you know the maybe the hierarchy like you say you're competing against Arsenal and then Chelsea obviously when I was there as well they were the big newcomers so you're obviously not getting the the first picks if you like the cream no. of the crops so you're almost working with you know the uh, you're working with what, what, one of the things that, that which is good I mean you talked about uh, Danny Buckle I think's you know fantastic um, you know developer of players and. And, and really good and he really likes to, to the players to work hard and 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 succeed and when he he came from Arsenal to us and he, he first of all he said oh no this is wrong and that's wrong and the session ain't going to be no good oh we've got beat 15 nil and this and that and the other and I said to him now you're going to really accelerate your coaching because at the Arsenal no matter what you put on they're going to do it because they were the best players in the in, in, in London now you're going to coach players that are not the best players in London and then from there I would have said from his point of view I mean Josh Honeman was in his team you know what I mean people like that you know where he's had to and produced people that other people didn't want or help to produce people that, that other people didn't want and sometimes coaches get it easy where they get all the nice equipment all the best players and they actually look at themselves and think that they're 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 good because of that. Try coaching the players that are not the best. Let's see how good you are then. You know. Interesting. And I, I want to just just talk about that a bit as well, just the culture again. And how do you one recruit coaches and then two give coach education to you know this? I mean, I'm assuming well, I know because it's mm. a very unconventional way of doing things in England. This wasn't mm. necessarily a conventional way of coaching this methodology. Mm. So how do you you know? First, get coaches in, and then you know, and help them support them professional development. When maybe it's not, you know, they can't go and do this on an FA course. They still can't do this on an FA mm. course. Any ball master one v one. So, how are you supporting your coaches and getting them? Um, well, to be honest with you, there ain't, there isn't that many good coaches out there. And the problem is, is people tend to think, and this is where parents fall down. They tend to think the bigger the badge, the better the coach. No. Coaches. You will get the best coach that can drive to your training ground by five o'clock. That's what you're going to get. You're not going to get the, the best under tennis coach might be in Dunham. You're going to get the best one within driving distance of your of your of your training ground. So, what what I look at now, I mean, I got asked a question the other day. They someone when I was at St George's by 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 um, Jeff Pike and Jamie Robinson. They said to me. 
if you're picking someone, are you picking someone based on knowledge or based on personality? In the past, I'd have said knowledge because you think, oh, they got to know this, they got to know. They can't not they can't not know anything. But I would rather mould a coach than have one who's coming in thinking that he's gonna tell me what he thinks, what he wants to do. Uh, so getting the coaches in, I don't you know. To me, somebody who wants to learn is more valuable to me than somebody who's already believes they know what 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 they're doing now. That doesn't mean a player, a coach who's competent and knows what he's doing, isn't, you know, valuable. But what it is 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 advice for young coaches: be flexible. Be flexible because you might not work for the same person. So if you're walking in somewhere, yes, you've got your ideas, but until you're in charge, you have to do someone else's ideas. Mm. So I've been a number two most of my life. Why? Because anyone I work for, I do what they want me to do. I might not agree with it, but I'm never going to show it, and I'll give them my opinion. But get recruiting coaches now is 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 very difficult because everybody, first of all, the badges are too easy to pass, so you're getting people in who haven't done their time, um, and secondly, they um, they you know we've got a lot of access to a lot of football, and they only see football from the top end. Go and watch Dover versus Fleetwood in the FA Cup or something like that. And then, mm. can you produce players for that league? Can you produce, you know, players for Billericay versus Whitehawk? Or can you do that? Because that's still paid income. So when we look at the the, the pyramid and we look at the top and we say, right, there's there's the the, the little bit at the top is a pyramid on its own. So you're going paid, 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 paid. Um, Paid football in any in any league, and then you're going to go uh, championship, Premier League, international, world class. So you know what I mean, there's different levels of being an expert. To me, an expert is somebody who pays his wages through the game. That makes you an, an expert. If you're a player and you've you are paying your wages through the game, you're an expert. What level of expert mm. is, is, is different and. Coaches need to realise that we're not just producing players for the tippy tappy, even though I'm the most tippy tappy. But I've still worked with players. You know, we got Callum Butcher playing at Mansfield, Shaquille Cordes playing at, 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 at Barnet, Grant Ward playing at Ipswich. You know, uh, Kudos played at Eden Morton. We got Zane playing for Kidderminster. They're playing all over, all, all over the place, not just at the top end. Yeah. But they're only playing there because they're technically capable. <laughs> they're not playing there for any other reason than that. They've, they've, they've found their level, but had they not had the technique and the ability and the movement to do what other people want, because don't forget, there's only two or three thousand footballers. Not everybody can be, you know, uh, uh, Harry Winks. Not everybody can be that, can they? Mm. Who, who's your, your most, one of your, your the proudest? Uh Alumni, would you say that you come through that you work with? Uh, well, all the players. Yeah. Uh, there's no, there's no, all, all of them. I tell you, tell you, who's someone who's really achieved really well, Kevin Stewart. You know, because he was a last in uh, to sign his scholarship, 
and then he had a really hard time with us in the twenty in the twenty ones because the, the the standard of player was so high, and he just stuck at it. And to be fair to Alex Inglethorpe, we give him a chance at Liverpool, and he's just got sold for eight million quid. Mm. You know, you know, he, he he's the most two footed player I've seen, self taught. And what about Harry Kane? Just because I know he's the big news at the moment. Tell us a bit about his story, like what you remember of him as he going through the system. Harry, Harry was always a grafter, always somebody that asked a lot of questions, never thought he knew more than anybody else, uh, took advice on, prepared to work a bit harder all the time, realised that he's, he, he, he wasn't a speed merchant but was prepared to maximise his running ability, whatever he had, and was always, always... Um, prepared to like like them all to work on anything that that would improve him technically and he is supremely technically 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 gifted well which is why he's he and his mentality is is outstanding and then so you, so you went from uh, assistant academy rector to working with the 23s 21s, 21s with uh, Tim Sherwood and there's so tell us a little bit about that transition. What was the difference in terms of was it you know obviously you know the players anyway. What's the practical differences in terms of you know you're preparing the players for the first team obviously. What's pra practice design different? What's different day to day? No, do the same things. All I do I do I do all the same practices. All I do is just make them more relevant to the players. So if I'm doing something like uh, a phone box, I'll just for the older players just make it bigger require more speed, change feet more, and stuff like that. We do different games, the in and out game, I'll still do that, we do that with the, with the older players, do it with the first team, do, uh, still work on individual stuff. Just all the, the see, the, every practice for me can be evolved to work with any, at any level. It's like, it's like, it's like you, do, you do subjects at school, you do what you do at university, you don't do in the infants, do you? You do English in, in, in the infants, and you still do it at university, don't you? But it's just a different level of complexity. Some of the story writing is still story writing. Mm. You still have to, to design it in a, certain, in a certain way. So I tend to do things, listen, when you're working with uh, the first team, it's slightly different. But working with the under-21s, there was still a massive le level of, of, of technique work that had to be polished. You know, it had to be polished, and luckily for me, because I knew all the players, it was a smooth transition. Mm. And then what about the transition into the first team at Spurs then? What was that like and the difference there? Uh, the difference there is now you're dealing with people that don't need you. So when you're dealing with the 21s, they needed us. And because you're dealing with people at Tottenham and a good little system where they don't pay people loads of money. So I think the first contract you could only earn 38 grand. A, a, a year, not a, not a week. Yeah? Um, so, basically, what would happen? What would happen in? What would happen in is that the players had their feet on the floor, and so you go from there to working with people who are, you know, they earn in a week what you earn in a year, and um, but. You don't look, I don't look at it like that. I just think you lucky, lucky boys. You know what I mean? Because I'm not getting judged as a player, I'm getting judged as a coach. Yeah. They're the lucky ones. It, without being arrogant, I'm, you know, what are they? They're, they're human beings that are just more rich and more famous. They're not coaches, they're footballers. They know less than me about football. 
because you think about it, when you played, when I was 25, what do I know? My difference between when I played at 25 to what I know now is ridiculous. I knew nothing at 25. Mm. So, so then just, just I know, I'm wrapping up in a very quick, I know you're a busy man. Just, just talk about little, your difference, you know, you're head of QPR at the academy. Mm. What's the difference, the practical differences? Is there anything you do differently? Is there different uh, ambitions? I mean, what's, you know, day to day? What's difference here is that we have to work top down. So where at Tottenham, we worked from the bottom of the pyramid to the top which took 12 years. So it ends this year, 2015 to 2015, no, 2005 to now, right? To, to uh, when I show you the original slide in a minute, right? So it's a 12 year uh, journey. Where now we, because of the way the club is, we have to, we have to, we have to try to get players in the team quicker. So, Fortunately, since I've been here, we've had 12 people playing the first team and two play, played most of the time. And um, the difference is, is that we can't, we can't, we're not gonna um, improve their technique as significantly as we would do starting at the bottom. But what we have to do is look at their capabilities and work on their strengths and then see if we can equip them to go and play for different managers. And then, you know, so it's, and also what we're doing is we're taking discarded players that have already been pros or apprentices from somewhere else. I suppose interesting as well, thinking about Tottenham and being, you know, in behind the queue between Chelsea and mm. Arsenal for your recruitment, your players, mm. I suppose even more now, you know, in QPR, you know, you must be really, you know, it's, it's talking worse. about working with players who maybe not the, the first pick. It's for such a saturated market, maybe the club, you know, is not, as well, big as some of the other clubs around in, in London. Well, that's why we have to take the discarded players, because unfortunately we're not getting, you know, we're not getting the the the, the first the first pick. And parents, see, even though parents were bad in the past, they're worse now because they can see the the, the bigger fruits. So you have to look at the potential of the players. And, and work with them. And sometimes it's not always the ones that are obviously the best now, that are the best in the future. So this is very, very difficult, especially at the bottom end, because you know last year we lost six under nines that, that, that were really good. Um, and they went to bigger clubs just because of, they could impress them more. You know, I'm confident that my staff or our staff here or got as good or better than the staff that they're going to, mm. but they just go into a better facility. You know, and it, it, it's 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 very very difficult to compete with that. So at the moment we are working more at this end here near the top. People that have been thrown out of clubs, and we're trying to polish them, which is, I would say, a, a, probably a bigger feat than doing what we did before, where we just had a blank canvas. Interesting. And then just, um, I just wanted to just t talk about, I remember another term you talk about a lot was uh, messy sessions. Mm. I just want to go over there because it's, it's an interesting coaching um, mm. point. Just tell us a bit about what that means, a messy session and the, the value of that something. You talked about scrappy goals. Yeah, stuff. scruffy I mean, goals. Remember you always talk so, about messy, messy session not being necessarily yeah, bad Yeah, uh, scruffy, scruffy finishing because if you look at goals, you, take, you just watch, uh, I always watch uh, Match of the Day 2 because it shows all the goals. And they're very few you know, brochure type goals where you're getting it in and it's a 30 yarder. I don't know why we even practice them. 
because you can, I think, practice them for ball striking, fine. But people practice that a lot and it doesn't happen. So you need to practice playground. You know, remember the game we used to play Wembley? That's how goals are scored mainly. Mm. They're in the box, set, someone shoots between legs or someone, a good goal scorer, score off balance. You know, what about that? Scoring, having a shot off balance. Not having a shot that you run into and it's rolling back to you for five seconds and you can see it coming and you can just get your toe down and strike it. When's that happen? Never. So the sessions that people have a lot of the times, they think the cleaner the session, the better coach they are. One goes to two, two to three, three to four. Right, there's a place for it. Don't make you a good coach. What makes you a good coach is what do you say to the players? when they're spinning, how do they spin? Do they get a head around? What's their foot patterns like? Have they seen that the guy's struggling? Do they need to check back? But what they'll do is they'll put the session on, blow the whistle, and then when it ends, they put on, and all the parents clap because it looked nice. And what, any advice, what advice would you give for a young coach from the start of his journey, once he gets to a position where you are now in the game? Uh, well, they won't, I, I'm, I'm, people like me, they never get into this position, I've been lucky been not lucky been fortunate because uh, you get you'll get the sniper will come out and shoot you for being controversial but I'm not controversial without substance it's you know I'm uh, you know uh, doing the ordinary stuff I can do that with my eyes shut but what advice for people is I would say realize that you don't know everything and realize that watching the Champions League isn't everyday football that is where you want to get to. You've got to know all the stuff that gets you there. Uh, and there's, there's not many people sitting at the top of the tree with, with low knowledge. Do you know what I mean? So if you people talk about, I want to be Guardiola or Mourinho, if you watch them do a four versus two in a box, they're not just standing there, we're letting the game be the teacher. They're coaching the players. Mm. So, I would always say to them, be as versatile as you can, ask questions, realise that football in the community has a place. You will learn more from coaching football in the community than you will coach somebody doing the under 18s. You will learn from, from trying to teach people to be expressive. And tactics are only there because of weakness. And what about play, advice for a young player, aspiring player on the beginning of his journey or the her journey? Players, just make sure that you can master the ball. Make sure you can master the ball. Make sure that your decisions are not made because you've got poor ball, ball mastery. Make sure that you can tell the ball where it's going and then you can, you'll make better decisions. And do you think, lastly, do you think the, the, uh, as a country we're missing a trick, as a federation, as the FA, missing a trick not having more ball mastery and 1v1 in, in, the, in, the, coaching, in the coaching courses and syllabuses? Yeah, who's going to teach it? <laughs> oh, you, you could. No, I'm not going to teach it because my <laughs> knees are gone. Who's going to teach it and do they understand why they're teaching it? See, one, one of the things you've got to remember, when we used to do to, to, to ball mastery, it was stuff that you could use on the pitch. It wasn't based on stuff that is just gimmicky. You could use it, right? All right, the combinations maybe not, but most of it, all this, most of it you can use. So it's, you go back to the old prelim, when I first done my prelim, the people used to, when we talk about passing the ball, we used to do passing, we talk about putting what your foot there and kicking with, people think that's beneath them now. 
teaching that. And that's where kids fail. They fail with having the wrong technique. And I would always say, give me a technical player who can run about. And I, and, and I would rather that than a player who knows how to sit in. Or not, no, no, knows how to screen in the back four. You know what I mean? Give me someone who's got good technique and run about and wants to learn. That player is making it. Player's making it. Somewhere at some level of expertise, he's going to make it. When you've got people that listen, we we play teams right that put their put players on in the eighty fifth minute, and they've driven from up north. Why? What to win the game? We played the team the other day. They took the the right back ran to the left back position to take a long throw what's that about is that going to get that bat, bat boy a contract no you ain't going to get a contract because of your throws are you do, do you see what I mean yeah. so any young player I would say yes admire admire the top end but remember that you're who you're trying to catch you're trying to catch the next person the next person the next person so what happens is here now a lot of the times when we do, when we tell them to do watch te- watch the, t- the analysis stuff, we don't do it with Messi and Xavi. We do it. The under twelve will watch the best under thirteen, and the best under thirteen watch the best under fourteen. So if they're if they're modelling excellence, he can catch that player. He's thinking, mm-hmm. well, that's only little Johnny. I can I'm better than him. He could model that, can't he? If he's trying to, we're not saying that they shouldn't look at the top players and idolise them. But also we've got to we got to also realise that what they're trying to catch, and they they, they they can only catch what they can catch, can't they? Be like an under nine picking up a, 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 the the Bible, written in Latin or something. Do you know what I mean? They're saying, "Oh, let me read that." No, they're not going to. Let's read the next one, the one with the colouring in, and then let's read the next one with the this, and then 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 you're 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 gonna uh, you're gonna achieve it. So any young player, I would say, always look at your little goals, achieve, 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 and master that ball, but not like a clown. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Not, not like, oh, he can do all the tricks in the world, but he, he, he doesn't see the next pass. And that's why all the ball mastery has to have an end product. So you do it for whatever, and then, then as they get better at things, you put end products, you, you know, you might do a Ronaldo and a pass, a Ronaldo and a shot, you know, you might, you know what I mean? Simple, as they say. <laughs> it is almost too simple, <laughs> isn't it? Exactly, yeah. It is though, isn't so, it? Right? it? Don't you think? Well, I, I think, but it doesn't seem to be... Uh... Oh, it's too simple. All people want to do is leave that game on a Saturday, beating QPRs under nines 5-0. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? Exactly. You know, like, you think about it, Tottenham, we lost in the Youth Cup to Crewe, Wigan, Barnsley, Portsmouth. Do you think all them players give a toss about that now? Who cares? You told me how many Barnsley players are in their t- first team from that Youth Cup game. To none. Tell me how many Portsmouth players are in that game. How many Wigan players are in that game? None. I suppose that's when you've got to be really brave and also I suppose when the club have got to back you as well if you're getting mm. knocked out of the Youth Cup every, you know. Listen, 
Nobody wants the team to play bad. Nobody, people talk about his winning mentality. My God, if I keep hearing that, if I hear that again, <laughs> winning mentality. You've even you you you've, you challenge right. We talk about challenge. Challenge. There's a, there's a, there's a quote. Challenge um, does not make character. It reveals it. So when people say, "Ah, oh, what we do is we 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 have this winning mentality. We've got to give it to them. They've got." Well, some people won't just won't. As soon as people realise not everyone's making it, mm. right? But you've got to give everybody the opportunity to make it. Not everyone, not everyone, you know, you go into a pub, you step on someone's toe, he's ready to punch you in the mouth. You step on another person's toe, he might, he might never have that in his locker to, to do that. People are built differently. you just got to find ways of bringing out, bringing out that, that, uh, that mentality in them. But they're not just going to have it because you're shouting them. They ain't got it, they ain't got it. And then you might make it. <laughs> and what about yourself? Your ambitions, your your uh, final ambitions <sighs> in the game? Well, I probably, I might try and have another dabble at first team, just so that on my deathbed I can say I've done it. Um, but I wouldn't mind doing this job forever here or um, the same job for a country. Uh, go, go and do it this type of job for a country or a federation like CONCACAF or FIFA or not FIFA but UEFA or mm. you know some, something like that somewhere with a bit of sun as well hopefully yeah probably <laughs> probably CONCACAF yeah <laughs> Be based in Trinidad or St Lucia yes, exactly Chris much appreciated thanks very much mate right, it's been fantastic Any thank time. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.